Truly Deadly. Written by Rob Aspinall. Narrated by Ella Lynch. Chapter 36. The Food in Norway. The box wasn't quite as bad the second time. No fisheye or crab horror. Just the pong, the claustrophobia and the cold from the ice. From what I could hear, I was loaded off the boat into the back of a van and driven along a couple of streets. Eventually, a cherry-faced fat man with arms like hams pulled me out and I stepped down from the rear of the van into the relative fresh air of a narrow alley full of rubbish. The van driver nodded, swung the doors shut and hightailed out of there. I arranged myself and emerged into the sunlight reeking of eau de mackerel. Stavanger was small potatoes for a city, a quaint place with red roof buildings. It didn't take long to find the cafe located just off the harbour. I took a booth by the window and ordered something called Smurbrö. It sounded like the least sinister thing on the menu. I tried my best to look sophisticated, like I belonged anywhere but had nowhere in particular to be. But I was edgy. My bum twitched on the red padded cushion of the booth. Where was this guy? He was 20 minutes late. The food came before finger. I guess you'd call it an open sandwich. Some poo brown bread, tomato slices and, oh no, oily fish. One sniff and I pushed the plate away. It was just for show anyway. I stuck to the mineral water. My phone beeped. A text back from finger. Men's restroom, last cubicle. Oh, how wonderful. I left a hundred kroner note on the table and made my way to the back of the cafe. The boys' toilets were shabby and grim. I stepped inside the last cubicle on the right and shut the door. I reached around the back of the toilet bowl. Then I tried the cistern. It was an old-fashioned toilet with a metal chain. I dropped the lid and stood on top. I hauled the heavy porcelain slab aside, revealing a small black plastic bag taped to the inside. I climbed down off the toilet, shook the water off the bag, blur, and opened it up. Inside was a see-through plastic pouch with a zip. There was a passport, a hotel room key, and a folded paper something or other. We were in business. I'd never stayed in a hotel before. The room was scratchy and basic with a dated maroon colour scheme, but it would do for a quick shower and change. Wedged up against a set of drawers on which an antique TV sat, there was a tiny brown fridge with a wood-effect door. I opened it up and... Shazam! A fridge stacked full of free drinks and snacks. I munched through half the peanut M&Ms, stuffing the leftovers with the rest of the goodies in my bag, including a couple of bottles of posh mineral water, a scotch miniature, and the free notepad and pen. While drying my hair on the bed, I sifted through the contents of the pouch again. There was an EU passport with my photo in it, in the name of Caterina Alaverdi. My cover story, wealthy Italian student on a trip of self-discovery across Europe. The folded paper thingy was a train timetable with a first-class ticket to Oslo. There was a route circled in red, the Oslo Express. Seemed like a good suggestion. I'd train it to Oslo, seek out some replacement medication, then make my way to Russia. Inside the passport was a debit card of the same name with a slip of paper giving me the pin and the account balance. 
six whole thousand euros. Woohoo! I was rich! All courtesy of Giles's trusty trust fund. How did they arrange all this stuff so quickly? Who knew and who cared? I had money, a new identity, and at last a phone. I felt human again. After I'd aired the fish out of my dress and wig in the window, I packed up and made the short walk to the train station. Soon I was on the Oslo Express, chilling in first class. It fit my high-maintenance image perfectly, which I wore with icy indifference. Inside I was a little thrilled. I'd made it out of the UK and was on my way. All I had to do was keep on trucking to Mother Russia then work out a safe, untraceable way to make contact with Auntie Claire, let her know I was alive and well. I sat on my own by the window with a steaming herbal tea and free spicy bean sandwich on the table in front of me. A proper sandwich this time. And it was yum too. The ride was like velvet. Not like the noisy, clanking Manchester trains packed with crooning drunks and B.O. machines. People in here were civilised, wealthy business types. They kept their heads down and fingers running over their laptop keyboards. The landscape outside the window was like epic CGI, from the greener-than-green hills and trees to the clear blue fjords and the snow-capped mountains in the distance. Everything was super lush. I took another bite of the sandwich and sipped on the herbal tea. A pencil-thin woman in a cream pantsuit slipped into the seat in front of me and dumped what looked like a laptop bag on the seat next to her. She had a long, thin face with freckles and dinky features, her blonde hair clipped neatly to the back of her head. She smiled and said something in Norwegian. I think it was hello. I smiled back and said hello in English in my mock Italian accent. I sipped on my tea and gawped out of the window. Where's that accent from? the woman asked, switching to English. Italy, I replied. Ah, where in Italy are you from? She asked, suddenly speaking Italiano. It took me a few seconds to work out what she said. Milan, I replied in Italian. Your Italian is good. The woman arched a barely there eyebrow, as if surprised. I lived there for a few years, she said. What brings you to Norway? She seemed nice enough, maybe a little up herself. I took another sip of tea and reeled off my student cover story. Travelling in style, she said, for a student. OK, now we were back to English again, almost like she was trying to catch me out. Money from parents, I said. She nodded. Well, Oslo is a beautiful city. All the designer labels, she said, bitchily running her eyes over my dress. I tried not to look at her directly. Prolonged eye contact made me uncomfortable. Strange, she said, trying to contain her own smugness. Don't see many Italian girls with blue eyes. What did she mean by that? I shrugged. My mother is English. Ah, uh, I see, she said, pulling her phone out of her bag. She dialed a number. Yeah, it's her, she said, suddenly staring at me like I was catch it. Okay, she said, ending the call. Whatever was happening here... It wasn't good. She took her eye off me for a second while she fiddled with her phone. I quickly slipped a silver dinner knife off the table. It was heavy, steel. It could do damage to the neck, throat or ribs. Maybe the soft part of the skull either side of her head. You won't be needing the knife, said the woman, without even looking up. 
I've got something to show you, she said. Better if you don't make a scene. I kept hold of the knife anyway. The woman took an iPad out of the bag and spun it around in front of me. She tapped play on the video. It was an empty room during daytime. Bare, patchy walls and a concrete floor. The camera fixed on a tripod. What is this? What am I watching? I asked, keeping up the Italian accent in case it was a trick. Smugarella, I'll call her, didn't answer. On the video, two men in black combat gear and ski masks dragged a woman with a brown sack over her head into the middle of the room. They set her down on her knees in front of the camera. The woman was short and pudgy, dressed in a dowdy green blouse and khaki pants that were too tight. She trembled and moaned. One of the guys pulled out a hunting knife big enough to cut a buffalo in two. The other untied the sack and yanked it off the woman's head. Staring into the camera, hands bound and mouth gagged with silver tape, was a plain, mumsy lady in her forties, eyes popping with fear and veins bulging up the side of her neck. It was Auntie Claire. Oh, fuck. They had Auntie Claire. The heavy with the hunting knife snapped her head back by the hair. She screamed through the tape as he held the thick, serrated blade to her throat. No! I blurted through a quivering hand, tears already ruining my eyeliner as a few of the first-class passengers turned their heads to see what the fuss was about. I tightened my grip on the table knife in my hand. The video stopped, and Smugarella nipped in before I could react. Not, I think, to calm me down, but to stop me taking it out on her. Your aunt is safe, for now, she said. They're waiting for us. She firmly gripped my hand, now tabletop side, clutching the knife. If you come with me, we'll let her go, unharmed. If you fight and run, she dies. She let go of my hand and swiped the iPad away. We'd all prefer the first option, she said, but it's your choice. Some choice. Why were the only options in life the kind of stinkers you didn't want? I released my grip on the knife and slumped back in my seat. Smugarella relaxed into hers and played Candy Crush Saga on the iPad. The weather outside gloomed over, giant clouds rolling over the landscape, casting the whole world in shadow. You really shouldn't have taken from the minibar, Smugarella said. The hotel called the police when you left without paying. You had to pay? Who knew? We had their lines monitored, she said, tracked you down on CCTV. Wasn't hard at all. The number one rule of staying in a hotel, she continued, zooming a finger across the iPad screen, is never take from the minibar. And if you're pretending to be from Milan, speak like you're from the north, not the south. The train sped to Oslo. I felt like a baby chick waiting in line to become a chicken nugget. Suddenly, I remembered why I was a veggie burger girl. We got off the train, and I followed Smugarella to the front of the station. She walked fast in flat shoes that matched her suit and clapped noisily over the buffed concourse. Across the road from the station was a black Mercedes people carrier. Within a second of the door sliding shut, a sack was forced over my head and tied tight around my neck so I could barely breathe. I felt the murk pull away from the station as I was pushed mush-first onto the back seat. I felt the sharp pinch of a needle in my left arm. Then, I felt nothing. Chapter 37
Welcome to Oslo. They must have taken the sack off my head at some point. I remember fragments. Hazy, lazy, in-and-out flashes. A rumble over a cattle bridge. Black, monolithic mountains rising from a still water sea. A bumpy drive up a grassy hill. Naked hot dog thighs. The black nail polish on my toenails. The left big toe where I'd missed a bit. A giant red barn with white lattice windows. Tyres skidding to a stop. The smell of freshly cut grass. The smell of sheep shit. Straw sawdust and old wooden boards. A plastic sheet on the floor, hard on my kneecaps. Finally, everything glued together. I came round inside a huge empty barn. On my knees, cold, stripped to my new Amazon-ordered underwear. The white version of Inga's. My wrists and ankles bound behind me in pinch-tight plastic ties. I raised my head and peered out through the straggles of my own distressed blonde hair, the wig gone, maybe tossed out of the car window and sitting crooked on a sheep's head. Auntie Claire was kneeling in front of me, also stripped to the bare essentials, big knickers and bra designed to turn men off rather than on. Her white, cellulite skin trembled like jelly on a plate. She detected movement on my part and looked up, eyes bleeding light mascara. Lana! Are you okay? she asked, voice breaking. Auntie Claire, I... I... I didn't know what to say. It's all right, she said. I know you didn't do any of the things they said. I'm sorry for getting you into this, I said, scanning the room for a possible escape route. The barn was open plan, with a high triangle roof and a crossweave of gnarly old beams. Stacked hay bales to the left, abandoned animal pens to the right... Double doors to the front, big enough to drive a bus through. Both closed and guarded by a two-man team in ski masks, automatic rifles in hands, eyes fixed on me. They were taking me more seriously now. Smuggerella yacked into her phone in what must have been Norwegian, twisting her slither of a nose in disgust as she checked the bottom of her shoes. Lorna, listen to me, said Auntie Claire, getting all parent and child almost like we were back home at the kitchen table with plastic cheeses. I'd have given anything to be there now, for the biggest thing in the world to be the length of my skirt or an F on my latest exam. I don't know what trouble you've gotten into this time, but let me do the talking, she said. I'll work something out with them. You can't negotiate with these people, Auntie Claire. One of the guards held a finger to his ear and pulled one of the barn doors open. Nathan strode in, trademark coffee cup and white paper bag in hand, dressed in his signature leisure wear, complete with puffy blue body warmer. Afternoon, afternoon, he said. How are we all? Smuggerella got straight off her phone. Everyone looked ten percent more alive. Another masked man with a leather holdall slipped inside as one of the guards stepped out. I wondered what was in that bag. A bone saw? Hot panic rose up through my body and into my face. As Nathan moseyed over, he took a fresh doughnut out of the bag and tore into it with his smoker teeth. He stood in between us, reeking of coffee and fags. Ah, he said, swallowing a chunk of doughnut. I love a family reunion. He bent over and looked from one terrified face to the other. Are they treating you well? he asked. I spat in his face. 
I was expecting a slap or a punch in return. He simply handed his coffee and donuts to Smugarella and dabbed his cheek with a serviette, chuckling to himself. Ah, well, this isn't my first spitting, he said, and it won't be my last. Sorry about all the derobing and the masks, he continued. It's just to make you feel a bit more vulnerable. Personally, I think it's all a bit unnecessary, but it's in their training, so... He clapped the sugar off his hands and extended one my way, as if forgetting I was tied up at the wrists. Hi, I'm Nathan. Oh, of course, he said, withdrawing the gesture. Still, you'll understand if we don't untie you just yet. How did you kill half my team, by the way? He seemed genuinely impressed. I read your medical file. It's ironic you're a type A blood, because that's what we call our best assets when we first recruit them. Type A's. I looked at him blankly. The A is for assassin, he continued. People with a natural aptitude for tradecraft. We've got one or two who were complete naturals, but no one like you. You're a truly deadly individual. With a little brain retraining, your potential is limitless. Unfortunately, I ran it past HR, and they said you've caused far too much trouble. I let out a horsey snort. I'd caused them trouble. Unbelievable. Auntie Claire shushed me with her eyes. It's okay, Lana, she said. Let me handle this. Handle it, Auntie Claire, really? Ah, Nathan said, and this must be Auntie Claire. I've been reading all about you in Lorna's little diary, the one with the sparkly stars on the cover. That's right, isn't it, Lorna? You have to be kidding. Nathan held out a hand. Smuggerella pulled my journal out of her bag and passed it over. It didn't get any worse than this. Let's see, he said, leafing through and clicking his tongue. Idea for YouTube viral, people staring at their phones walking into manholes. Ten reasons I'm still a virgin. Shoot me now. Just cut Auntie Claire loose and feed me a bullet. Five reasons Millie is a giant hoe bag, he continued. And, of course, the world-famous Lorna Walker Penis Museum. He showed me and Auntie Claire the inside of the book, a centre spread of crudely drawn members of all shapes and sizes, each with their own classified species. Massive Erectus, Droopy Draws, Willy Wonky, Captain Hook. You get the picture. Ah, here it is, Nathan said, flicking towards the back of the journal. Auntie Claire. I didn't have to look to know he'd landed on Witch of the Week, my last and perhaps final entry. He put on a whiny voice like I was a ten-year-old brat. Auntie Claire is acting like a massive witch, he said, raising an eyebrow in Auntie Claire's direction. I could see the pain in her face. It hurt more than the agony of being tied up on her knees for too long. I go out for one measly night out, he continued, kick some scumbag ass, and all of a sudden I'm on lockdown. She wants to ruin my life. My, my, Auntie Claire, Nathan said in his own voice, you must be so proud. Auntie Claire was surprisingly tough. You've had your fun, she said to Nathan. Lorna, give them what they want, love. Nathan nodded in agreement. You're absolutely right. Let's crack on. He turned to me. All we want is the list. 
It was a no-brainer. I gave up the lens case and this was all over. And the list belonged to them anyway. What did I care what they did with it? I ignored what my heart was trying to tell me and told them where I'd hidden it. It's in my bedroom, I said. The piggyback. Nathan called someone up on his mobile. Yep. It's in a piggy bank? He seemed surprised. There all along, he said to me. How about that? He took the mobile away from his ear. They can't see a pig. It's a Hello Kitty piggy bank, I said. It's more like a money box. You unscrew the bottom. Nathan looked confused. A white kitten with a pink bow, I said. Could I have sounded more immature? Nathan put the phone back to his ear. White kitten, pink bow. Is it in there? Oh, the one place you didn't look. Of course it was. Nathan shook his head and slipped the phone back in a chino pocket. Honestly, field operatives today. They pull out a few drawers, knock over a chair and call it a search. Now, Lorna, he said, there's just one little formality before we finish up. I was naive to think he was telling the truth. The guy had tried to abduct me from a hospital, for fuck's sake. He'd sent a killer to our house, kidnapped Auntie Claire and ransacked my room. His people had tried to stab, shoot, strangle and beat me to death several times over. He'd turned me into a crazy lady on the news and he'd had me and Auntie Claire drugged and stripped to our knickknacks. Still, he had a way of making you want to trust him. Dumb little Lorna Walker, gullible to the last. It was pathetic. Smugarella handed Nathan a pen like it was all rehearsed. He squatted on the balls of his feet and flattened out an empty blank page in my journal on the plastic sheet in front of me. I noticed hundreds of tiny grey hairs sprouting around his temples, the smoker's folds in his face. He pushed the pen into my right hand. I just want you to write me a little note in the back here, he said. About what? It's nothing, he said. It's just a little disclaimer. Just write what I say and we'll let your auntie go. One of the men in ski masks stomped over and cut my wrist ties. He twisted my left arm up my back as an added incentive. OK, Nathan said, clearing his throat and pacing around like he was dictating a letter to his secretary. My name is Lorna Walker. You may have seen me on the news. I resisted. The man who'd come in with the holdall walked forward and put a gun to the back of Auntie Claire's head. I scribbled down Nathan's words as he continued to talk. I'm so depressed and angry. I feel so alone. I hesitated again. The guy behind me yanked harder on my arm. Auntie Claire says she understands, but she doesn't, Nathan continued. She's one of them. One of you. What the hell was he talking about? Don't write it, Lorna, said Auntie Claire. Don't, love. But I had to write it. Nathan continued. They're all plotting against me. My shrinks, my doctors, my auntie, the police, everyone. Nathan paused and bent down close to me so I could feel his hot coffee breath on my face. Auntie Claire was the last one on my kill list, he said. Suddenly, it dawned on me. No, I shouted, eyes filling up with the salty stuff. It's okay, Lorna, Auntie Claire said, smiling. Everything will be okay. Nathan's sunny disposition clouded over. Auntie Claire was the last on my list. The tears broke like rain clouds. I shook my head. Arm Guy yanked harder, while the other one shoved his gun deeper into the back of Auntie Claire's head. 
Write it, Nathan said in a menacing tone. I wrote out the words like a shaky spider. But if anyone should be the last on the list, it should be me, he continued. It's time to end the suffering, once and for all. It was Auntie Claire's turn to scream. No! You said you'd let us go, I said to Nathan. No, I said we'd let your auntie go. I looked across at Auntie Claire. She was powerless to do anything. On old photos with Mum, they were both young, slim, pretty. Guys buzzed around her like bees around honey. She'd let herself go looking after me. And I suddenly realised she hadn't been ruining my life. I'd been ruining hers. I wrote the rest of the mock suicide note in terrified handwriting. Nathan stole the journal away, beady bird eyes zigzagging their way down the page. Wonderful, he said, back to his bouncy self. He nodded at Auntie Claire's would-be executioner. The man tucked his gun back in his shoulder holster, flicked open a pocket knife and cut the ties around Auntie Claire's hands and feet. I breathed a sigh of relief for her. At least she was safe now. She could live, love, marry... As Nathan handed the journal back to Smuggarella, Auntie Claire rubbed her wrists and ankles. I wanted to talk to her before they let her go, but she cut me off before I could squeak out an apology. Please, don't hurt my niece, she said to no one in particular. Neither of us will say a word. Nathan stood to the side of Auntie Claire, just out of her eyeline. He drew a gun from the holster on his belt. Oh, I'm counting on it, he said. Without hesitation... He lifted his gun to the side of her temple and pulled the trigger. This has been Truly Deadly. Written by Rob Aspinall. Narrated 